You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. We're continuing, actually we're completing our series on growth. We've spent eight weeks on this. Uh, We're certainly not done. Uh, We're going to move on to some other areas of focus. But hopefully this has been something that will propel us and launch us to want to grow. How many of you know you need to grow? We're talking about spiritually and personally and and we need to grow and we want to grow and we will cooperate with God and he will help us to grow. Amen. And so we've spent about uh, this being our eighth week on this and I've, I've tried to give really what I feel are the most important applicable principles to really help us to grow. We've got to break away from complacency that how we are and what we're, the way we're doing things is just okay. And we've got to lean ahead into some urgency uh, that not just maintenance mode, and there's some people barely in maintenance mode, but that we want to go ahead and get into growth mode. And we'll see some real deeper uh, reasons and meaning for that here this morning. I, I don't have time to review a lot. But I want to make sure that we understand this. If there is a formula for for spiritual growth, and let me say this first. When you grow spiritually, it's going to affect you every other way. It will affect you emotionally, intellectually, relationally, every other way when you grow spiritually. And so if there is a formula for that, we've, we've kind of arrived at this, that spiritual growth happens when we, first of all, when we do what the... Excellent. When we do what the Bible says to do and second part, and we, and we walk with God. Excellent. So let's do it one more time. We're, we're going to grow spiritually, which impacts every other area and relationship of our life. We'll grow when we, first of all, do what the Bible says to do and walk with God. And it's got to be both. It's got to be both. And uh, so we've, we've looked at this over the, over the last few weeks. Um, I want to go ahead and give you kind of the conclusion before we get there this morning so we can be thinking this way. The real main reason that God wants us to grow is not just so you can feel better or things go better. God wants us to grow because he wants to entrust you with something. He wants you to grow so that he can entrust you with something. And when we're talking about growth, we're also talking about maturity and and growing up, so to speak. And uh, there's some things that God couldn't trust us with if we don't grow up. Yesterday, uh, I went out on our front porch. It's one of the favorite places in our house is to go out on the front porch. And I just needed more pollen. Um, so, <laughs> no, so I went out on the front porch. And I was going over my notes. And uh, our front porch faces our, our front yard. And then there's our neighbor's yard. And they have a couple little boys and they had some company. And so there were like five, six little kids out in the driveway, their driveway playing. And it was just kind of fun, you know, watching and listening to them. And so, you know, one, five minutes, they're all happy. And then, and then three minutes later, they're pretending something big time. And then there's a real drama meltdown and then a couple of kids fighting, you know, and the mom comes out, you know, and I'm just watching all of this and they would play something for a while. And then all of a sudden they busted out all these power wheels. So these are little battery-powered, you know, little cars. And one of them was a little golf cart. So one of them's driving a little golf cart around, you know. And then one of them had like a little race car thing. And, you know, they're, 
they're driving around and another one had a little one in a thing that they're just kind of pushing. But everybody's on wheels. And I'm just kind of watching this for a little bit. And there were a couple crashes. And then one of them gets their wheel off the driveway and they're just spinning out. Starts just crying. Just throws his head back and just starts crying. You know, and then the mom comes out to see who's hurt, you know, and all of this. And I thought, you know, there's a reason why there's an age limit on a real driver's license. Because they couldn't be trusted yet. They just couldn't be trusted yet. A number of years ago, uh, my son Lee, who, is he 24, 23? He's 24? Where does time go? Anyway, he was about 10 at the time. Alicia and I had been on a trip, and, and I brought him home a knife. And uh, Alicia said, are you sure he's ready for a knife? I said, yeah, he's a boy, you know. And so I got him a Swiss Army knife, and it's got all these things on it, you know, and all, all kinds of attachments and things. I'm showing him all the things that I do. And I said, now i got to be able to trust you with this. Oh, you can trust me. And I'm showing him more things. You can trust me. And it does this also. You can trust me. You know, and I'm showing him every feature of it. Dad, you can trust me. And so I gave it to him. And I said, all right, son. So he goes out and plays in the backyard for a while. About 10 minutes later, he comes back holding his fingers, bleeding. And he goes, you can't trust me. And there's some things, honestly, we end up destructive with. If we're not, you know, if we haven't grown to, and matured to a certain place. And so I believe the real goal of growth is this, is that God would be able to trust us with something. So often we, we couch it in terms of, so I could be happy and so things could go better with me and that kind of thing. And actually further, the real value of this is that God wants to trust you with something. Now, if we follow God's path for growth and consistently do that. This is what I believe is the result that we'll experience. We'll be happy, but happy is not the goal. Y'all here? Happy is not the goal. Happy is a byproduct. You'll be happy. You'll be stable. That's a goal. Fruitful, blessed, and watch this carefully, and a blessing, which further points out that the end goal for growth is that you could be entrusted with something. And so often we just feel we're blessed, 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 and we're thankful for our blessings and throw a blessing party. And we forget that the real purpose of being blessed is so that we can be a blessing. Can God entrust us with his blessings so that we will be a blessing to somebody else? Now, real quick, because this was a a very important principle, I want to take us back uh, the last couple weeks here and remind ourselves of a couple things regarding growth. First of all, direction. Everybody say direction. Your direction determines, anybody remember? I hear it. Destination. Your direction determines destination. And so I don't care who you are. If you get on a certain road, And you stay on that certain road. It doesn't matter who you are, what you're driving, who's with you, anything else. You get on it, you stay on it. It's going to take you to where that road goes. And so we're wrong to assume, no, not me. That won't happen for me. That will never happen to me. I'm smarter or whatever it would be. No, this this is absolute law here that your direction determines your destination. 
And then do you remember also attention? Everybody say attention. Attention determines direction. What you give your attention to directs your life. So whatever gets your attention, captures your attention, takes your attention is going to end up directing your life. So we've got to be very intentional about what we give or what we pay attention to. Because I promise you, if something steals your attention, captures your attention, distracts your attention somehow, it's going to alter the direction, which is ultimately going to alter your destination. So we've got to be intentional. Everybody say intentional. We've got to be very intentional about what we give or what we pay attention to. Some things you need to ignore. Oh, come on. Some things you need to ignore. And to ignore means to withhold giving your attention. And there are distractions and temptations all around us that, that, of course, they're trying to get your attention, but I cannot afford to give them my attention because it will alter my direction and my destination. You hear so far? Okay. Now, tying right in with that and taking us where we're going today, when you have a sense of loss or pain, when you live with a sense of loss or pain, then you cannot give your attention to the right things. When you're living with loss or pain, a a mindset, an attitude, a heart posture of loss, pain, failure, shame, then you cannot give your attention to the right things and you end up going on some alternate direction and course and it takes you somewhere else if, if you even get anywhere. And so let me stop by saying this. This is not a house of condemnation. If you're here today and your life's not all perfect, welcome to the club. (laughs) But hear this. Hear this though. This is not a house of condemnation. This is a house of grace and truth and mercy and compassion. And you won't be judged here. One reason you won't be judged here is because nobody's qualified to judge you. Plus, the Bible tells us don't. But this should be a place of healing. This should be a place where we get some truth and apply it. We don't have to hide. We don't have to be afraid. We can grab a hold of truth that will help us to get free and get back on path. Now, if you live with, uh, let, me, let me say this. Pain causes you to be self-centered. Pain, loss, causes you to be self-centered. Guys, if you're out and you're playing some basketball with your buddies and all of a sudden you roll your ankle, guess what? Now what's more important than winning or your team is the pain that you're in. You'll fall down, you'll grab your ankle, you'll roll around, you'll do whatever it is because of the pain that you're experiencing at the time. Ladies, maybe you're in the kitchen and you're cooking And, uh, you know, Alicia has coined the phrase, breakfast is love. And you're trying to feed and show love and to do all those things. I just say food is love. Okay, (laughs) come on. But um, you're doing all of that. And then suddenly you burn yourself or you cut yourself. Guess what? Pain causes you to be self-centered. And you go, yeah, y'all get fed when you get fed. (laughs) Because I'm in pain right now. Well, guess what? Emotional pain is even worse. 
And so when you're hurting on the inside and you've got that sense of pain and loss and shame and so forth and failure on the inside, that's, that's even worse. And so when you live with that, you can't pay attention to the right things because it causes you to be inward. Now, don't be condemned over that. That's kind of a natural thing to do. You, know, you Suddenly your attention is diverted when you're suddenly in pain. I remember it was probably about 10th grade and I was walking to the library with about five or six girls. Just me and five or six girls. And walking along and talking to all the girls, all of a sudden I ran right into a sign. <laughs> Forget about looking cool any longer. You know, and it changes everything. You can't afford to pay attention to the other things when you're in pain and so forth. So, what we want to talk about this morning is a phrase I introduced to you last week. Grow away. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, grow away. Not go away. <laughs> grow away. And what we want to find out how to do is how to grow away. Follow me. How to grow away from pain, from loss, from failure, from shame. How can we grow away? From this, not just uh, feel good for a moment or try to forget about it or whatever, but how can we truly grow away from this? I wrote a book a few years back called Seasons. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. I don't make a dime out of it. Uh, I set it up where everything just comes right back into to a church building fund for that. So buy a bunch of them, okay? But um, but in that book, that's how I view life through the lens of seasons and. You know, if you got beat up in third grade and mom and dad divorced when you were in third grade and this and this and this, and you're 40 years old right now, listen to me, you're not in third grade anymore. But sometimes we get what I call stuck in a season. Or maybe a few years ago, something went really south for you, or you messed something up, or you behaved in ways that you're very ashamed of, or whatever it would be, you're not there anymore. And what you've got to be careful is that you don't stay stuck in a season. And what you have to do is leave one season to get into a new and a better season. We find in Scripture that God's pattern is to bring you out so that he might bring you in. We find the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness for a season. And finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, uh, the Lord speaks and it says this. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, watch this, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. Watch this. It is time to break camp and move on. Can I paraphrase it? It's time to grow away. It's time to grow away. So you don't end up with the mindset, we're lost, we're wandering, we're forgotten, we're in between everything. And we have pain, we have loss, we have sorrow, we have failure, we have all these things. It's time to grow away. And, and we've got to do that, otherwise we end up staying stuck in those places. Your growth actually depends upon your health. Just physically, your growth, you know, think of a baby, a child, or whatever else, an adolescent. Growth deter is determined by your health. And it is not healthy. It is not healthy to hold on to loss and pain and shame and failure. Is anybody here at church today? Okay. It's not healthy to hold on to that. You will not grow if you stay angry. 
Come on. You will not grow if you stay angry. And it is unhealthy for you to view life through the lens of pain and loss and, and all of those things. When you do that, it's going to stunt your growth. It's going to cause you to grow in weird and wrong ways. And let me go ahead and throw this one out while I'm hurting every, everybody's feelings. Maturity is measured by recovery time. Maturity is measured by recovery time. And if we're not getting over it, we're going we're gonna to stay immature, so to speak. And again, it's not a house of condemnation, but come on, we've got to grow away from these events and issues and, and situations in our life so that we can get free and grow and be able to get to a healthy place. And God can entrust us to help some others. Amen. Now, here's some reality for us. Life is a continuous cycle of crisis and process. Life is a continuous cycle of crisis and process. You have never heard Tim Gilligan say to you, give your life to Jesus and you'll have no more problems. That is not true. And you will never hear me say that. And well, you said we could be happy and stable and fruitful and blessed and a blessing. Yeah, that's in spite of it all. The Bible even talks about that you can be happy and have a continual feast regardless of your circumstances. It's a perspective issue. It's a trust issue. Y'all here? And so life is a continuous cycle of crisis and process. And the quicker that we just realize that that is reality. You know, just getting to church on a Sunday, you have crisis. You have crisis on different levels. Maybe your crisis was your alarm clock didn't go off at the right time. That's a crisis. What do you do? Process. We're going to go faster. We're going to do this. I'll wear that that's already ironed. Uh, I won't wear my teeth in wig. You know, I just, you know what? Whatever it would be. Or the cat got out. Oh, we got to get the cat. Okay, that's crisis on one level. But what if you go out, every, everybody's ready, we're all good to go, and the car doesn't start. Now we've got crisis on another level. Or what if we go out to the car and the car's not there? You know, we've got a whole, whole other crisis there. But what do you do with crisis? You have to process. You have to process. What, what do we do now? And see, largely how you deal with uh, reality determines your stability. And see, some people just, how do they respond? Anger, blame, escapism, isolation. You know, what, there's all kinds of things. To do. Or you can face it all with, with faith. And with hope and with some courage and with some calm, but because it's just part of life that these things happen and what we have to do, it's crisis, it's process. And that's where we find God helping us in life. Heaven, we won't have that cycle in heaven, but we got it now. In John chapter 16, verse 33 in the Amplified Bible, I love this. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, everybody say, in the world. world. Read carefully with me here. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Anybody witness to that? All right. But collapse and fall down. No, but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, and daunted, for I have overcome the world. I've deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. 
Amen. Now, so reality is you're going to have stuff going on in life. And as that comes to you, and I just was reading this uh, a week or so ago, our tendency is to, first of all, make it personal. So then when we have problems come our way, hurt come our way, loss come our way, we make it personal. See, it always happens to me. Secondly, we make it pervasive. And we suddenly view our whole life as crummy because of one thing. Everything's rotten. And you find out it's two things. And the third thing, personal, pervasive, and permanent. It's just always going to be this way. Nothing ever works out for me. And when you do that, you box yourself in. And I'm going to tell you something. You need to grow away from there. You need to grow away from there. So what, what, what do we do? As things come our way, you've got to confront them and resolve them. Confront them and resolve them. When you confront them, you've got to sort it out. And then when you resolve it, you take some action. David and Goliath is an example. You know, David showed up on the battlefield. He was bringing his brothers some Subway sandwiches. What? Read the Bible, okay? So he's bringing his brother's lunch, and he finds everybody's hiding in foxholes and behind trees and rocks and everything else. And he suddenly sees we've got a crisis here. And we've got all these brave guys that are trained and have armor and everything, and they're hiding. And there's a big guy strutting himself out there, and he's cursing our God, and he's mocking the army and all of this. And, and so David looks at it, and he goes, now, hang on. Okay, I'm going to, I got to sort this out and then I got to take some action. So he sorts it out and he starts to look at it all. And he says, you know, there was, there was the time that I killed the bear. And there was that other time I killed a lion. And the thing that helped me to kill him was the name of the Lord. The power of God helped me to do that. And this guy, (laughs) I mean, look how he's dressed. What a geek, you know, and, and just because you're big doesn't mean you know anything. And God delivered me from the, the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion. I'll take this guy. So he goes to the king. He finds his way to the king and he says, what do you get for knocking down the big guy? It was kind of like a Bible days game show, you know, and he said, no taxes. You can have my daughter and, you know, all, all the cheese you can eat, you know, is all, all that kind of thing. And so I'll do it. And so he went at him in the name of the Lord and he conquered him. What did David do? He didn't go, oh my goodness. You know, he, he confronted it and he resolved it. He sorted it out and he took action. There was crisis and there's process and God will help you. But the last thing in the world we want to do is get stuck. And something doesn't go right. Somebody hurts our feelings. Somebody hurts us deeply and seriously. Or there's loss or there's shame or whatever it would be. And what we have to do is grow from there. Everybody say, grow away. Now, I want to show you just five things. And trust me, I'm going to do this real, real quick this morning. Five things. First thing that you need to do to grow away is you meet. First of all, you need to make a statement. Make a statement. Everybody say, make a statement. What you do is you call a little press conference. And you get everybody together. Now, you can do this on your own, too. You get everybody together. All your pains, losses, failures, shame, every negative thing in your life that has held you up somehow. 
all the people, all the events, all the things, all the projects, all the sin, all those things. And if they have a personality, you call them all together. And you call them all together and go, first of all, I want to thank you all for coming. And let you know I hate you all. But I've been working on this and I have prayed and I have sorted through this. I've confronted this and now I'm ready to take an act, some action. So I need to let you all know a couple things. First of all, I belong to Jesus. Now, hold on. I belong to Jesus. I do not belong to you or you or you or any of y'all. I don't belong to you. I belong to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of my life. You're not. You're not. You especially are not. And you're not. And I forgive you all. And you owe me nothing. I just want to call you all together today because you're not going to see me anymore. Because I would like to announce to you that I'm going to be growing away. And so I called you all here so you could be here for the ribbon cutting ceremony as I step into my new future. Need to make a statement. All right. I got to put these down. You can't trust me with these. All right. Second of all, you can do that at home. You can just tie some toilet paper across something and get in the mirror and work this thing out. Okay. All right. Secondly, you need to put some systems in place. Systems in place. You know, in life, just think practical for a moment. When we have systems, it helps us to have a place for things, a time for things. We've got a file for that. We've got a box for that. We've got a date for that. We've got that on the schedule. And when you do that, that helps you. It helps you to process. It helps you to deal with things. It helps you to not feel overwhelmed. It's the areas of our life that we have uh, unorganized with no system where we tend to be fearful, that we tend to be, uh, feel overwhelmed. And so as life happens to us, we've got to have some systems in place. And systems bring order. And order brings liberty. And liberty protects us from the clutter of things and people and events. And it protects us from the confusion and the fear and all of that. So we've got to have that in our life. Uh, years ago, I read this and I implement this on just about a daily basis in, in my office. My assistant will come with, you know projects and papers and correspondence and everything else. And it's the four D's and we don't call them this all the time, but number one is do. Second of all is delay. Thirdly is delegate. And number four is discard, or I like to say this way, dump it. Okay. And so some things come to you do. We've got to do that now. We've got to do that right now. Delay. You got to recycle that. We've got some time. We can come back around on that. Uh, delegate. You know what? Who's good for that? Who would be better at that? Who I need to give that to? And, and you delegate. And then fourth, there's just some things that just don't matter. How did this even get here? And you just dump those things. Well, the same with life and events and things that come your way. Some things I, we've got to take care of this right now. And there's some other things, you know, it can afford to wait a little bit. Other things, I need some help. I need to give this to somebody. And some things totally you can just, you can just dump out of your life. So what do I mean by systems? I'm actually talking about disciplines. Everybody say disciplines. And we're talking about disciplines both spiritually and practically. Spiritually and practically. Spiritually and practically. Somebody bump me. Spiritually and practically. 
Because you can have it together spiritually and know how to pray, but your life is all out of order, you're still going to be frustrated. Or you may be totally, practically, totally organized, but don't know how to pray. You're going to be so uptight and frustrated as well. You're going to have to have things in place in your life spiritually and practically, spiritually and practically, systems in place to help you with this. For example, pray, read, go to church, be a giver, serve, love, forgive. Let me go practical on you. Have a healthy diet, exercise, have right sleep patterns, good time management, be a lifelong learner, budgeting, healthy relationships. And when you have those things in your life, you can't just, you know, have your little press conference ribbon cutting kind of thing and then have no system to your life. But I tell you what, it's going to, it's going to rain on your parade. But when you get those things, you know what? Part of my life, day by day by day, I'm going to read the word. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to get to church when it's time to get to church. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to, I'm going to use my time wise. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to sleep good. I'm going to maintain healthy relationships. When you do all that, you are creating fertile ground for you to grow. Thirdly, glad y'all are so excited. I'll cut some more ribbons in a minute for you. Thirdly, you need to practice stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And we are stewards because we are not the owners. My life is not my own. And everything in my life is not my own. It's all God's. Everybody say it's all God's. And so what we've got to do is manage it the way the real owner wants that to be handled. So in particular, and get a hold of this now, what the Lord really wants us to steward in this growth pattern is what I call T4. T4. God wants us to steward our time, our talent, our treasure, and our touch. Time, talent, treasure, touch. It's to be used. It's to be used for the kingdom of God. It's to be used for other people. We're to be stewards of this. Listen, no longer just consumers. We're contributors. We're not takers. We're givers. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. In Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25, it says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Get this verse. The generous soul will be made rich. Get this part. And he who waters will also be watered himself. And what happens when you water something, you help it to grow. And if you'll use your time, your talent, your treasure, your touch to help some people grow. Don't walk on people. Don't push people down. Don't push people aside. Use what God has given you in a life-giving way. And when you do that, when you help other people, when you water other people's lives, God will make sure that you get watered as well and you will grow. Now, in James chapter 1, which starts out with talking about trials and testing and adversity, the chapter ends with, with this. And all those things aren't resolved yet. Your trials and adversity and all that. And he says, this this is what you really need to do. This is what real religion is before our Father God. Is that you take care of widows and orphans. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm just guessing that there might be somebody that's worse off than you. 
there might just be somebody that you can apply some time, some talent, some treasure, and some touch that would really be a blessing. You can help somebody to grow away from their situation as well. And it's good for us to forget about me for a little while and turn the attention toward other people who have lost resources or less resources and, and relationships. Fourthly, and I'm moving along here. Number four, move toward significance. Significance. Everybody say significance. I'm nervous spelling that in case the accreditation people are gone. <laughs> significance. Right there. All right. Uh, it's an attitude. It's an attitude. What I do today, I'm going to do to the glory of God. I'm not going to waste my time, my energy, all those things, doing some frivolous little fluff. And so whatever I do, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I'm going to do it to the glory of God, to his kingdom, to advance his kingdom, his purposes. I'm going to do it to help my family. I'm going to do it to help some people. I'm going to do it to help somebody I don't even know. And sometimes by doing so, you entertain angels unaware. And I'm going to do things for some real significance. Turn your test into a testimony. Turn your pain into something powerful. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, and I'm just going to quote from it right now. It says that we are to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. So it means when you've gone through something, God will be your comforter and he will be your helper. But the end of the story is there, I feel better. No, the comfort, the help, the strength that God brought to you, you're now to take that comfort and help and strength for somebody else who's going through anything and comfort others with the same comfort that I myself was comforted by God. That's significance. That's significance. And fifthly and lastly, watch carefully. You got to watch. You need to sin. No more. Oh, some of y'all got excited. Yeah, pastor says it. No. Sin no more. Can I tell you what that means? Don't mess it up. See, what God does in the process of growth and out of his great grace, he fixes things. And he says, now don't go mess it up. In John chapter 5, we find a man... uh, He's laid by the, a pool at Bethesda, by the sheep gate. It says that every now and then an angel would come and stir the water. And the first one that would get in the water would be healed. And there's a man there. Now, I want you to get this. There's a man there who's been sick for 38 years. Don't you know he wants to grow away from that? And Jesus sees all these people because people would lay sick people and lame people, everybody around there in the hopes that they could somehow get in. And I can't explain what all that was about. But Jesus saw all this setting and he walked past some people and he got over to this individual and he said, do you want to be well? And Jesus knew, the script says Jesus knew he'd been sick a long, long time. And he says, I want to. He said, but I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. And Jesus said, water schmatter. No, he didn't say that. He, he's... Stay with him. He, he said, take up your bed and walk. 
Just take up your bed and walk. So he picked up his mat and he just walked out of there. Jesus swooped in, fixed it for him, and then Jesus just stepped out. Jesus found him later in the temple. And in John chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. You know what he was saying? I fixed it for you. Now don't go messing it up. Grow away from this. And then in John chapter 8, we find a lady who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they take and they bring her and they throw her down right in front of Jesus and said, the law says that we are to stone her, stone her good, stone her to death right here. What do you say? And Jesus stopped for a moment and he got down and he wrote in the sand. And I know what he wrote in the sand. He wrote, where's the dude? I think that's what he wrote. And they kept asking, what do you say? What should you do? And then he stood up and he said, all right, here's what we'll do. Whoever has never messed up, whoever is without sin, go ahead, you, you throw the first stump. And the Bible says that one by one, starting with the oldest first, because it takes a little while for wisdom to dawn on us when we're younger. They left. Jesus wrote some more on the sand. And then he said, woman, where are your accusers? Who condemns you? You know what he did? He leveled the playing field. He said, everybody's messed it up. And I'm willing to help everybody. I'm willing to fix fix it for everybody. He said, who's condemning you? And she says, nobody. And he said, you know what? I'm not condemning you either. But listen to me. Go and sin no more. You know what he was saying? Grow away from this. See, sometimes we just judge a person by their action or what they did. But how'd they get there? What was it? How did they get hurt? What was the pain? What was the loss? What was the failure that brought them to a place of another action? How how did they get there? But here's what our Savior does. He wants to come and say, you know what? I want to fix it for you. I want to fix it for you. But don't go mess it up now. Grow away from this. Now, let me just finish this up. God is wanting to entrust us with something. And the whole goal of growth is not just to be happy. If you came to me and said, Pastor, would you pray that I'd just be happy? I would say no. Because I don't want you to be happy. Hear me. I want you to be stable. And fruitful. And blessed. And be a blessing. Then you'll be happy. And it'll be a happiness that will really last. God's wanting us to grow ultimately. Yeah, so life will go better. Yeah, so we can feel better. But ultimately, God's wanting us to grow so he can entrust something to us. Can I just boil it down to the simplest language for us? This is what growth is about. God is fixing us up so he can use us. And one of the things we're going to have to do is grow away from some things in our life.